I really just wanted to pick up a little bit um, on the conversation yesterday about Oxford anthropologists becoming bilingual in the social and the biological. Um, as I mentioned yesterday, I was in that first cohort of five along with Rachel between us. We were a four-field anthropologist, uh, a sociologist, a biologist, I was a chemical engineer, and we were not a historian. So we were a mixed bag, um, all trying to find our way in this very um, new <laughs> emerging landscape. And um, it's, I think it's taken me these 10 years um, to really start to picture where I think I fit in as, um, in terms of my identity as an anthropologist. And so what I want to do in this, this presentation is just take you a little bit through my journey from um, doctoral research to what I've been doing as a postdoc and then a, a project that's been um, in development very slowly across the last couple of years, um, but trying to get at this question of is it possible or fruitful or even desirable to try and in any way bridge the biological social divide? So I just want to uh, present a few little snippets of uh, various pieces that I've been working on um, to try and think through this next project about um, you know, what really is the aim in terms of how I might approach the body as an anthropologist. So uh, I think this uh, phrasing it as the social versus the biological body within uh, the training program here, the social body is the one, and I'm not trying to imply at all that biological anthropologists don't do field work, but the social body is the one that I'm framing here as the ethnographic body. So this is the body that, um, that we describe. It's the one that we see in its close, intimate context. Uh, it's the one that we see in relations, uh, yeah, in its relationships at the micro level. Um, in my case, because I was doing ethnographic fieldwork in a dance school, um, this was the, you know, the up-close encounter with bodies that were sweaty and fleshy and um, you know, full of uh, sensory <laughs> experience, uh, which I tried to capture some in my, my DPhil thesis. Um, and so really, the, the, the social perspective on the body is, is very much our, you know, our core grounding in the ethnographic approach, which um, is the comment that was really coming across yesterday and I think in the panel one presentations this morning. Um, so I just wanted to give a little vignette of my engagement with that social ethnographic body as, as a DPhil student. Um, and of course to, to get that, to get the data on that kind of socially informed body, um, it takes us straight into the field for a very uh, up close and intimate engagement. Um, so the picture up at the top is where I did my doctoral student. It's a place called The Place in the middle of London, and um, it's one of the um, main centres for contemporary dance in the UK. It's got a well-established history in terms of uh, being um, a producer of some of the very well-known contemporary dance artists in the UK and beyond. Um, it, it draws on um, international, a large number of international students as well who... Um, come to the UK partly because they think they might want to work in the UK, but also because they said there's not an equivalent um, training program like this in my uh, in my home country. Uh, the the picture here is another uh, one of the key central um, training and um, creative and uh, performance centres in the UK, uh, Laban Dance Centre, which is the proposed field site for the next project that I'm thinking about. So I'll say a little bit more about Laban later. They are, uh, they are slightly rivals because they are both based in London, but um, also you have people who move across between. So both Place and Laban have undergraduate training programmes, they also have postgraduate performing companies, they have artists in residence, they both have a theatre. Um, so you do see dancers moving across between the two. So I just want to give a little, um, just to situate my journey as an anthropologist, um, a little vignette of my first encounter with my field site. Um, this was following on from 
a first audition, which if I have time, I might say a little bit about. But uh, my first impression of my field site here is uh, was standing there at 8.30 in the morning on a very cloudy morning in September of 2003. And I stood outside this, uh, this, this glass wall goes four stories. So you walk up to it and you see this you know, quite imposing glass wall where you can look in and see you know, a hint of the, um, the spaces beyond. Um, but it looked pretty ominous when I was walking up that morning because the, the cloudy sky kind of made the, uh, the glass reflect this, this eerie sort of silvery gray. And um, I gathered that I was not the only one who was uncertain about going in because there were other new students who'd also clustered around the door and we just, um, we all seemed a bit hesitant to cross that threshold even though we'd been there before for the auditions. And um, the other students and I, we just stood around making small talk for about 10 minutes until the school's director showed us inside. And the impression going inside the door uh, was one of having to go through almost a, a bottleneck. It, um, it gave the sense of you really had to have a purpose in accessing this space, which was so visibly tangible, <laughs> but um, was in many ways um, seemingly closed to outsiders. So when you go in through the, the, um, the glass door on the ground level, you're immediately greeted by a, secu a security guard sitting at his desk, and so you can see him from outside through the glass wall. Um, on his desk are several notebooks that appear to be sign-in registries that are very obviously placed, and there are a few chairs placed across from the security guard's desk uh, that make a, a sort of makeshift hallway, and it's a natural bottleneck because once you go in, there are, there are steps that go up and steps that go down, each going to different levels of, of studios and practice spaces and, and changing facilities. Um, so you feel like you almost you know, have to be <laughs> greeted <laughs> and um, that you have to have a reason to be there. So um, I, I would later learn that the security guard was exceedingly good-natured, and he greeted school students by name. Um, he offered help to people who were obviously lost and, you know, the, the, un the uninitiated um, looking around for their, their way. But uh, my first impression of entering the field was that this was a checkpoint through which um, limited numbers of persons who were, you know, trying to get inside the professional dancer's world would have to pass. Um, and in general, uh, what I tried to bring out in my detailed work was this very bodily apprenticeship that one goes through when they're being apprenticed into the social world of professional dance. And I thought it was interesting yesterday that Bob Simpson referenced um, uh, Love's apprenticeship model uh, with, with reference to our program here. Um, that was also uh, a model that was useful for me to think about because I was trying to think not only in terms of the apprenticeship of acquiring um, the technical skills, the trade, if you like, but also the apprenticeship in terms of how one moved from being fairly peripheral as the aspiring amateur and having some access to the professional world. So in this particular space, uh, there was a, it's one of the, the main contemporary dance theaters in London. It's right in central London. So there were professional companies performing pretty much every night. Um, it hosts several national uh, annual platforms uh, that bring in well-known artists or um, our platforms for newly emerging artists uh, that happen set through times through the year. Um, so as a student, the, the apprenticeship experience was not just about going to the class every day and learning a set of skills, but it was very much about negotiating your way from the periphery as an amateur um, towards the, uh, the increasing the, the center. And of course, not all students who go through the professional training do become performance <coughs> artists. Um, some become performance artists, some become choreographers, many are both. Um, some become teachers, some, um, like me, do something that's related but not quite professional dance. So that's a lot of what I was trying to write about was this very bodily apprenticeship and socialization um, of going through the, um, uh, taking part 
in the professional dance training through field work. Um, I will say just a little bit about that, that first audition, um, which was that um, many applicants when I was there for the audition uh, had, had some previous experience of, of dance before. There were some who were new to dance, but, um, but most others were fairly comfortable with the, um, the format of a class and the warm-up, but uh, what was new and, and what became a feature as part of the professional training was the heightened level of being seen um, by oneself, one's peers, and one's teachers. So for the audition, um, of course, we weren't known yet to the people at school, so we did have to wear numbers, and the school director apologized for that uh, and said, yes, if you are accepted, we will um, we'll get to know you on a, a first-name basis. But we were lined up in numerical order. We, uh, we spent time doing the combinations, rotating from front to back. You had this sense that, uh, that the staff who were there as part of the auditioning process were circling, trying to get different vantage points of, of you or the person next to you was never quite clear where they were looking. Uh, so it's that, that first sense that I had of, of uh, being watched and being seen and trying to be seen um, myself. And so that, um, that was the, the idea of being seen was something that um, I think enabled one to, to move from the periphery towards the center, and that was an anxiety that um, students within the school had said, you know, I'm not sure if they really can see what I'm doing. I'm not sure that they can really understand what I'm trying to do. I don't know that I'm seen in class. Um, so I, I'm afraid I'm looking at the time ticking on, um, and hopefully that's not totally incoherent, but just to say that this, the engaging as with the social body, with the ethnographic body, um, was very much for me about engaging at this boundary level um, with the, the intimate social relationships, the intimate, um, the sweatiness, the fleshiness of the field. In somewhat um, contrast or parallel, depending on uh, which view you want to take, um, the, how I see the biological, the, the bioecological body is one that gives us the vantage point at more population level. So of course, very often we have the data gathered through um, that up close field work. I think that's me, family. Yeah. On the, on the cover there? Yeah. In the top. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that vantage on the body um, really you know, shifts the orientation. There, the, the biological body becomes one that we measure, one that becomes um, represented by its dimensions, um, height, weight, other measures of anthropometry and physiology. Um, it, the body becomes one representational body among many in the population. So it's giving much more of a, um, either a long-term historical uh, viewpoint, so if you can think about population genetics and the timeline of uh, people around the world going through these the, uh, the bottleneck of um, decreased genetic variation. Um, we can think about bodies in terms of their, uh, their growth trajectories, so here with the, the, height, the height velocity of uh, boys and girls as they, as they age. Uh, but this kind of body is, uh, thinking about the body in, from this perspective, I feel is one where the individual body and those intimate social relationships are subsumed at the level of population analysis. And um, I've had to put on more of this bioecological hat since starting to work with Stanley in the I'll just say the unit, um, until I started working with him in 2007. And for the project that I'm working on at the moment, um, I've actually not done field work. I'm doing secondary analysis of an existing data set. So just to give you a sense of what my data source is for the project that I'm currently working on, um, uh, we have access for secondary analysis to two of the ongoing birth cohort studies in the UK. So 
unlike the intimate, small-scale, sweaty, in-person engagement that I had as an ethnographic social anthropology body. In this case, my data sources um, you know, put bodies very much at a distance. Um, these are data sets that have 17,000 people at the start of the, um, the samples. They follow people that were born um, in the UK during a specific week, in one case in 1958, in the, in the young cohort in 1970. And these are very rich data sets. They've been followed up for many years. Uh, so we have the, the data set that I'm working with at the moment is a cohort that's now over 50 years old. So we have their height and weight measures. We have information about their their education, their educational attainments, their um, some information about um, activity patterns. Um, later on, they start talking about their food preferences. We know. Um, things like when they got married, how many children they have, some of their children are now encompassed into the study. So it's, um, it's a very useful perspective in taking the, the bioecological perspective and trying to get a sense of bodies within the population. So what we're trying to do with this data is trying to explain why is it that at the moment we have high obesity prevalence in the UK, if we look back at um, the obesity prevalence when these cohorts were children, it was not nearly that. So we're trying to use this bioecological perspective to say, well, what's happened? Why is it that so many people have gone from being, being of normal body size to the high obesity prevalence uh, that we have today? So it's a, you know, it's a very different way of engaging with the body. And um, this is one that I'm trying to now think, you know, it, am I always going to be running in parallel? Will I always have an ethnographic project? And will I always have one of these big number crunching top-down projects? Is being bilingual as a medical anthropologist coming out of the Oxford program, meaning that I have to keep on doing a bit of both, and they don't really talk to each other? Or is there some way where actually these perspectives can be incorporated and start informing each other? So a project that I've been developing across the last couple of years with a collaborator at Laban, uh, Emma Redding, um, is one that potentially might use both of these perspectives. Uh, I mentioned before that that field site is Laban Dance Center, and something that distinguishes it from the place where I did my first lot of field work is that it has an in-house um, dance science research center. So Emma Redding and her colleagues um, have formed one of the few clusters of dance science research in the UK. And so the students who come through the school, the professionals that come through the theater, uh, are asked to take part in dance science research. And so they're capturing things like um, the changes in their leg power, how many, how many jumps they can do in a certain amount of time. Uh, all the students that come in at the beginning of the course are assessed through various physiological tests. Um, and then they are assessed again at the end of their first year. They're given feedback about what the measures might mean for them in their training. Uh, part of the feedback is whether any um, potential weaknesses that might lead to injury have been identified through these tests. So it's a really interesting setting in that the encounter of the dancers in that case is immediately, um, the, I think, the bioecological approach in that they are engaging with these researchers as biological, physiological bodies, part of the population of aspiring dancers in this group, but what I would like to see is the, um, is the ethnographic side of this. So for me, I'd like to be there observing what do they do with this information? How do they feel about engaging with the concept of the body in that way? Is it something that they find useful? Is it something that they take into their creative practice? Is it something that is rejected in their creative practice um, in some of just some pilot level uh, visits? 
that I've done so far, um, it seems that there may be very strong camps who uh, feel that this dance science research process is, is very useful to the training and others who feel that it absolutely interferes with the creative development of the dancers. So the project that I'm hoping to undertake within the next couple of years um, is, is essentially an ethnography of dance science. So I think these, these two formulations of the social body and the biological body are potentially there in the same space. So, sorry, I'm watching time and know that I don't want to um, hold us off from, from lunch. Um, the questions that I'm trying to get at by um, proposed field work at Laban within the Dance Science Research Department is, um, is to what extent these biological and ecological representations of our bodies, of ourselves, um, within the larger population of dancers as a group, um, in this case, uh, to what extent do the, does the biological engagement of the body really inform the social categories that we live by? I think this might be a unique setting for trying to probe um, you know, the extent to which the biological and the social categories um, overlap or not in the field, uh, or it also might highlight to me very strongly that these are in fact just our useful analytical categories for setting our, our analysis level and our framework. So in that case, it may be that my conclusion from engaging a project like this is that as an anthropologist, I am going to have to continue to hop levels and hop perspectives. But um, what I, I hope that an ethnography of dance science might bring is um, whether or not actually the people that we are studying, who as Bobbles have pointed out is increasingly us, um, if we also in our social lived engagement of the body uh, engage on that, that biological, ecological level as well. So I don't have any answers as to whether or not um, it is possible or whether I'm going to have to continue in my bilingualism of hopping back and forth between perspectives and methods, but um, that's where my journey so far has taken me, still trying to figure out um, really what kind of anthropologist I am, if it's possible to be an integrated anthropologist, or if it's possible to be an anthropologist who works in, in parallel streams. So that's where I'm at at the moment. Uh, it's taken me 10 years to get there, and I think it'll take me at least another 10 years to come up with any sort of answer to those questions. But um, just to say thank you for the first 10 years, of course, to Elizabeth Shu, who is my supervisor throughout my master's in DPhil, um, and was the person who suggested that an ethnographic study of dance training might be a good idea, so I never would say anthropology. Um, and she continues to challenge me to, um, to become a better anthropologist. Thank you to Stanley, who was my tutor at, at master's level and offered me a job and brought me in um, as, a, as a professional anthropologist at postdoctoral level, and both of them, of course, are my, my senior colleagues now who uh, continue to be great influences. I mentioned yesterday that, um, that David Parkins seemingly innocent conversation, which was actually an interview, was the one who really drew me into medical anthropology. And of course, I, I have to thank the many, many, many anthropologists that I've encountered in this department, uh, through conferences, through the, the many seminars. We didn't really talk about our seminar culture, but we have so many anthropologists who come and share their expertise through our program, through the established seminar series, um, all who continue to influence uh, the way that I think, and of course, the the many people that I continue to encounter, especially the dancers, um, as a as an anthropologist in progress. So uh, don't know quite yet what the next ten years will hold, but um, I'm standing on the threshold of eagerly anticipating them. <laughs> Thank you.